Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. We are back. Full swing, sort of. I guess we're full swing. Um, for Merlin's Monsters, and this is the behind-the-scenes podcast for Murphy, where we deep dive into episodes, interview the cast, um, and answer questions that you have about the show. I am joined today by the other three writers, Annie. Hello. Derek. Hi. And Drew. Hello. <laughs> Um, so welcome. Thank you everybody for joining. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we've all kind of been here and doing this. So we have a packed episode for you today. I was actually listening to like back, uh, and I listened to, I think our first Merlin's Monsters episode and how we were all very excited to like talk about the stuff that's in the later half of the season, but we couldn't yet because the later half of the season didn't come out yet. Yeah, I was like um, useless in that first episode. <laughs> well, now you are useful. Yes! Um, oh, so finally! <laughs> you're always useful. It only took I swear. Three and a half years, but we finally did it. Today's episode uh, will be about episodes four and five, written by um, Drew and Annie, respect- respectively, not, well, also respectfully. Oh, I guess. thank you. Um, and we're, I'm so excited because these are really awesome episodes. A lot happens in both of them. So, without further ado, um, episode four, In the Woods Somewhere, hey. was uh, Drew's episode. And something I noticed is that Drew really likes writing these, like, preludes um for his episodes and i just think that's like so it's so very much like in the style of him um that i know i'm like you could give me drew's episode and not put his name on it and i'm like this is a drew episode um it's just like very like noticeable and i just think that's like so cool so that was something i noticed and there's also two dennis cameos in this episode Mm, mm -hmm. uh the scream yeah Yeah. the scream in the beginning is is dennis yep (laughs) um and the and <laughs> nobody tells me anything. <laughs> Pretty sure we put it um, in the yeah. chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> why would you think that I look at the chat? So the scream in the in the prelude is Dennis, mm. and then the parting glass, the the patrons in the pub who are singing the parting glass. That's all Dennis. Yeah, all of them are Dennis. All of them all are of Dennis. Them are Dennis. <laughs> Damn, yeah, he's he can he can do it all. Yeah. Denny, den, 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 den. Someone should put a ring on that man's finger soon, or else. Oh, uh, okay. Too late. I already did. Uh, hey. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are now in a different location. We are in Ireland, and we meet Elliot's family in this episode. So we're peeking into Elliot's world. And as I mentioned in a past episode, um, Elliot wasn't supposed to be as involved as he was. So this was like really kind of exciting and like kind of cool. 
Um, so, Drew, my first question is for you uh, is, was it exciting for you both as an actor and writer to discover more about Elliot? Oh, yeah, easily. 100 <laughs> percent. Well, because I'm sure a lot of people don't know this. I I got the role of Elliot after I wrote the episode already. So, like, uh, it, it was just very fun to sort of, like, really delve into uh, Elliot's family, and I used my own family for plenty of inspiration as well. Uh, my family is very Irish. So it was just very fun to learn about him, learn about wh- why he is such a strange man. But it's because he grew up around, you know, uh, people that deviate from the norm. And that doesn't make him bad. It just makes him strange and exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was really cool to to learn more about him, and I'm glad you also enjoyed that. Um, so we also are introduced to the Dulahan in this episode, <laughs> which adds a really really spooky tone and does some literal soul sucking. Yeah. Uh, so that is cool and fun and good. And the Dulahan is voiced by Soren Correa, hey. um, who does an excellent, excellent job. So next question is, um, so I hadn't heard of the Dulahan before this. Um, so it was kind of really exciting because I think what I wanted to do with Murphy was talk about folktales that aren't like your typical, like, of course, like there's the Loch Ness Monster and there's werewolves and all that. But like, what are like the other folktales that people are telling? So my question is, is the Dulahan like well known in other parts of the world? Um, and what specifically drew you to it? Uh, well, I mean, the Dulahan is very primarily known in Ireland, funny enough. There's no concrete evidence of this, but it's speculated that uh, when Washington Irving wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, he used the Dulahan as inspiration for the Headless Horseman. Um, like he, I can't remember off the top of my head, like his family was from like, from over there and I believe he had a maid who was full Irish so it's not like it's not like too out there to believe that he had heard of the Dulahan and wanted to write uh, a story around it which is funny because I heard and most people in the United States have heard of uh, the Headless Horseman and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow before they heard about the Dulahan so it's like a a weird flip flop <laughs> um but I mean, what drew me to it, honestly, is <laughs> I and I've come to find this out recently. I have a couple of favorite cryptids and mythological creatures. Werewolves, one of them. Vampires, another. Any specter on a horse? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's up there, baby. Like, <laughs> it's, it's the it, stamp. It, it truly <laughs> is like the 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 Dulahan, the headless horseman, the knuckle of V. Like I was just gonna th- say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like pretty much any specter or spooky creature that's on a horse. I'm like that is awesome. Tell me more. Like, like I think I remember hearing something about like a. a ghost rider no relation to the motorcyclist of like a old cowboy or something who was known as a ghost rider and like he haunted mines or something like that and i was like that's awesome tell me more about that ghost story <laughs> so yeah uh he was on a horse and he had a whip made out of a spine i was oh, like yeah. that's pretty awesome that's kind of sick you don't really hear about weird things like that mm-hmm. you know very often um and something interesting that i found out while i was Uh, doing more in-depth research uh, is that 
the ancient Celts believed that the soul uh, was located in the head. So way, 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 way back when, uh, when Celts would fight, they would often take, or either they would take the heads or their enemies would take the heads of the Celts as a sort of like, kind of like final, like screw you to them as like, I got your soul. So um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And I haven't found anything in my research that connects the Dulahan with the soul being in the head, but I mean, it kind of makes sense with everything that's been laid out before us. So the idea of, uh, that's why specifically when he goes to collect Jack's soul, he puts his finger on Jack's forehead oh. and that's him drawing out Jack's soul. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of where that came from. That scene is like, so I think about that scene like twice a, twice a week. <laughs> it's pretty fucking terrifying. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Cause the idea of like running away from something and there being absolutely nothing yeah. to hold it back. And you can try, like you throw big, heavy wooden doors in front of it. You put a table in front of it, but that's nothing. Um, and Murphy is like the whole time. She's kind of like, I don't even know how to stop this thing. And all it takes is a fucking metal coin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gold Gold. coin. Gold Gold specifically. specifically. And like, it's just like so funny because, you know, she, she does have a lot of knowledge about these things. But when it comes to the Dulahan, she's like, I, I have to step back. I, I don't know. We could all just die. And we'd have to accept that because I don't know what to do. I think it's really interesting that like, I've been thinking about this a lot since I re listened to the episode for this, for this episode. Um, I think this is we we talked a lot as a writer's room about like the the general um, feeling for the show that we want to purvey and like I know horror is the top one for everything. I think this was the episode in the first run where we finally got a scary Murphy episode. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of suspense and and action and everything in in the first three, but this is when we were like, oh shit, this is this is terrifying. And I think a lot of that has to do with Drew and writing. Um, that scene in particular and it has a lot to do with Dennis's work with um, uh, crafting the soundscape for the episode Mm -hmm. Um, just hearing that bone whip (laughs) fucking I was in the shower uh, listening to it before I got here and hearing the bone whip I was like Oh my god! I got, like, like goosebumps while hot water was running over me. Like, that is just such good yeah. craftsmanship from just like all around. Mm. Um, and like when he used the organ for like the music, like oh. because mm-hmm. it was in a church, I was like, oh my god, that's mm-hmm. genius! Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know what was running through your mind while you were writing that scene. Um, did you have any inspiration while you were like putting it down on paper? What was the the ending, the overall goal with introducing the Dulahan sonically in the episode? Well, uh, one thing that I wanted to do for that scene in particular is I wanted it to be like I wanted it to feel like they were trapped. Like like to me personally, there is nothing more horrifying than when you do everything you possibly can to either escape or to hold something off. And no matter what you do, no matter what you throw in front of them, no matter how you can escape, doesn't matter, you're trapped. And that's really what I wanted to do with that, is that oh, he got through the barricade. What do we do now? I guess we can try and fight him? And then, the, like, Elliot, like, he kind of tries, but he gets taken down in one one whip crack. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that's really what I wanted to do is, because is, like you said, this is kind of like a sort of, like, 
horror-esque episode, which, fun fact, I did not sit down and write, I'm going to write a horror episode. <laughs> I I did not. I was just like, let's just type out things that I have in my head and see what what comes of it. So what we're hearing is you need therapy. I, I go to therapy. Oh go to therapy, Perfect. kids. Perfect. Therapy, therapy is wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that scene, I really wanted to have a feeling of like, no matter what they can do, they should feel trapped. And I also wanted because i know that we talked as a writer's room about it um i wanted the dulahan himself to be a an entity of death like kind of like how some folks most folks view like a grim reaper for example the one who collects the souls and ferries them to the other side i wanted the dulahan to be that like like at least a version of that and uh you know i thought why not make it a little scary <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah it's it's like oh god no because there's just so much <laughs> but but it is true because i think that was like um one of the things that i guess ends up becoming a misconception within the episode is that you know murphy is of the understanding that like this thing is going to kill us because it wants to but in the end it's just warning you to not mm-hmm do something like to not go into the woods yeah. um and all that so and also it has one of my favorite murphy and elliot moments where she's like patching up his hand and they actually like have a conversation together um and murphy kind of like opens up a little bit and is like i almost lost jack and it's my fault um and i don't know that was just like really sweet the way you wrote that so thank you <laughs> yeah I, I i kind of pulled that from from stuff that I learned myself like in in that while I was writing that I was sort of going through uh in my own personal life just being like you don't have to know everything and then I was like Elliot knows this he's a he's a well-versed man Murphy (laughs) doesn't know this I'm gonna make it so Elliot tells her this because it's true you don't need to you don't need to be expected to know absolutely everything even something you're an expert in you don't need to be you, you don't have to know everything. You always, always keep learning. That's what yeah. Nana says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, like the learning never stops. And uh, I kind of wanted to put that forth as like a lesson for Murphy to learn as well as, you know, anyone watching to learn <laughs> or listening, I should say. <laughs> but yeah. Um, kind of going back to the point that you made um, about how, you know, we start to see these things um, with the Dulahan, for example, and other um cryptids that are mentioned in the series just how they're just doing their thing (laughs) Uh, pretty much and basically you know I think by this episode we kind of learn okay so hmm the Dulahan is scary but I think really just keeping order Mm -hmm. if that makes sense of all things Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something that I just love about Murphy in general and what we all have created collectively as a writer's room. Like, that's something that I love, um, especially in this episode, because I think we really, really, really see it um, as like, hmm, hmm, the scary thing isn't as scary as it made out to be, but it is mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. It is still very scary. Um, Soren, again, I'm going to praise him again because <laughs> listening to it just again, oh my God. I, 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 I can't, I, I cannot, I cannot. Uh, I remember when I first listened to the episode, um, so um, a little insight. So the other writers don't hear 
um, kind of the editing process of the episode besides nope. the other writer, mm-hmm. um, which is so cool, actually, <laughs> I think. Um, so I had no idea, like, what the Dullahan, like, final, like, I wasn't even there for when Sorn recorded um, his stuff for the Dullahan. So I was driving to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I was listening to episode four. And I remember, I remember just chills and like running down my spine as I was sitting there at a stoplight. I was like, what is going on? It's funny you say that. Uh, uh, a listener ma- made me aware at one point that he was uh, falling asleep while listening to episode four. And then like the Dulahan's voice woke him up and he was like, I'm going to turn that off for now and listen to it in the morning. <laughs> it's like, we're going to put a pin on this for later. Yeah. A-, a friend of mine was listening to it. I- people listen to this while they're driving, which is like really funny and like obviously when you listen to podcasts you're like doing things um but it seems like driving is a common activity so another driving story is that my my good friend from home she was listening to it she goes yeah i was scared shitless when i heard that i had to like pump the brakes i was like oh my god <laughs> it's like a f- pure jump scare well done soren well done soren well done soren <laughs> um I kind of have a fun question for you. I was thinking of more fun things just because you also voice Elliot and, um, you know, we do go back and we visit basically where he um, grew up and we really learn why Elliot is Elliot, uh, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says in the episode, I remember he's talking about how, oh, I can't stay here forever. Do you Mm -hmm. think that Elliot would secretly retire there eventually? I think I think Elliot doesn't know i think he would like in his later years in life like maybe like he would like when he's retired from the force when he's seen things maybe i I do like this idea where he just goes home and he just gardens like he just has a garden and he's just like he plants his flowers he tends to his lawn like he makes sure everything looks neat and proper yes The man is 33 years old and he smokes a pipe. He's a hobbit. So that's why Murphy called Elliot to take care of Jack's plants when they went to Romania. Ooh, you know, I didn't even I didn't even put that together. I like that. Actually, that's funny because Elliot mentions his dad has a green thumb. That's so funny. Oh, that's so good. I like how we're making subconscious. I like how we're making subconscious connections right now to like everything going on. That's mm-hmm. like so that's such an interesting question because it's like where do the characters go like after like where do we see them you know towards the not like the end of their life per se but like after the, the end of the story. They, yeah after yeah. the end of the story um and that's so sweet but that's like so Elliot gives me the impression he likes taking care of things mm. so very much so like i he likes taking care of things but he but only when things need to be taken care of ah. like like he if it ain't broke exactly and not only if it ain't broke but like if someone is about to try something he will stand at the ready waiting to help them but he will let them kind of stumble first kind to kind of learn but he will be there to catch them do you know do you yeah. see what i'm saying mm-hmm. like he won't let them fall but he'll let them stumble yes uh-huh. yeah that that's that's kind of how i see elliot he's he's a he's a care, he's a caregiver but he's like a let them let them try first yeah mm-hmm. 
Shifting into a, uh, another aspect of the character psychology, um, we uh, are introduced to quite a member, um, many members of his family, including four <laughs> rather unique aunties. Um, and I know that you've said before that they are true to life in some oh, yes. ways, based on your own family. And I'd kind of like to delve a little deeper in to the inspiration for those characters. Yeah, so uh, the auntie, Elliot's aunties are inspired by my four real life aunties uh, on my mom's side. Uh, they know who they are. I, and <laughs> b- when I when I say that, I mean, they know which aunt, which of Elliot's aunties they are. Like, like, oh are they fans of the show? Do they listen? Yes, they actually they do. Hi, so. Drew's aunts. <laughs> <laughs> Any notes you have, just send them to Drew. <laughs> Go for it. Every t- I, I told uh, one of my aunts, I was like, this is you. And she was like, I've always loved that name. And Aunt Maeve. She's like, I've always loved the name Aunt Maeve. So, First name Aunt, last name Maeve. Last name Maeve, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I, I love my family to death. And, and my aunties have always been... You know, if if not immediately around, they've been within you know a phone call away, like pretty much all my life, and so they they're a they're a pretty big deal to me. So I was like, you know what, I think Elliot's pretty close with his aunties. <laughs> I, he's close with his parents, he's close with his aunties, and he's close with his nana. Aww. Hi, Graham. Hi, Graham. <laughs> Hi, Graham. <laughs> if you have any notes, send them to Drew. If you have any notes, yeah, send them my way. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was fun to uh, take real life inspiration because we don't get a ton from the aunties, but like in those few lines, I kind of like wrote real life. Like, what is the thing Elliot says? He's like, if you drink with them, they get funnier. If you don't drink with them, they get louder. That is a real <laughs> life family quote that has run in my family for the past several years. Oh, man. <laughs> Obviously, Nana is your uh, gram, you said, right? Yeah, my, my well, uh, kind of a mixture of both my grandparents on my mom's Aww. side. Yeah. Was there any other influence that you kind of incorporated into Nana um, besides your own family? I'm curious. Yeah, well, I always loved the storyteller as a character. Like, I always thought that was super fun. And, and you know, the older you are, the more stories you have. And the more stories you have, the, like, the more engaged, you know, presumably you can have people. So I always liked the idea of someone who was like, yes, come sit. Let me tell you a story. Like like the grandpa in The Princess Bride, for example, when he like reads the book and the kid starts out like, ah, I'm not really into this. And then like as he keeps reading and reading and reading, he's just like, what's next? What happens? Uh, so, yeah, the the story, the elder storyteller was definitely like an like a trope inspiration that I had for for this character. That makes so much sense as to who you are as a person. <laughs> <laughs> We're uncovering a lot of... Uh, a lot of Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Deep dive into Drew's psyche. These people have known me for at least a good seven years, and uh, they're finding things out about me on air. Yeah, on <laughs> air. Well, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun writing this, writing this episode and uh, delving more into this. And going back like 20 pages... Um, when I was talking about the uh, Dullahan being sort of like an embodiment of death, I didn't realize this until after I really kind of delved into it, is that the festival of Cromdu, which is the festival that Cool celebrates, Cromdu was like a, a, a Celtic god, like an ancient Celtic god of death. The festival itself is like kind of like, it's kind of like a early sprinkling of like, hey, this might be what the cryptid is that we find out about later. But it's also like... The god is a god of death, but the festival itself is to celebrate life. 
um, because, you know, most people in the in the town are like, it'll happen someday. Might as well have a good time while we're here. And to have that juxtaposed next to a horrifying embodiment of death was very fun to just just a fun yeah. thing to compare to. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Do uh, do we have any further questions for Drew in this interrogation? Excuse me? <laughs> God, can we get the heat lamp off already? Potato. <laughs> no, cool. we're good. Alrighty. Did you say that because this episode's in Ireland? My episode's also in Ireland. I know. Which is a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> God, thank God. <laughs> to, um, to the fact that I, I did write, yes, so these are questions that are kind of for both of you um, because both of these episodes are in Ireland and we kind of go from like one um, very small part to a rather big part of it which is Dublin it's like a major like pretty major city and like all this stuff so we go from like this little village um and we we, we're in the car and you know it just kind of works out really nicely so we have two episodes in Ireland which is awesome and I you know both of them have like a little bit of Gaelic and that was fun because uh it was fun to watch the cast like trip over the language and myself <laughs> included. Um I still don't know how to pronounce half these stuff you put it in front of me I'm like what? So well, my question <laughs> my question is what was that experience like for the both of you like getting to know the language a little bit and like incorporating it into um these episodes? Basically, in my episode, um, I decided to use the Celtic name for fairies, which is she. Um, So um, it was very interesting getting to know the language a little bit. It was a lot of research, to be honest, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of just making sure that you did your pronunciations right. I actually did go to Ireland, um, funny enough, while we were recording Mm -hmm. (laughs) my, um, my episode. And also, I think we were still recording episode four or something like that. It's like the end of episode four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, when I went there, um, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of Irish and um, that people also call uh, Gaelic Irish. Um, So when I was there, when I went to the Cliffs of Moher, um, I remember sitting there and like listening to some of the things. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I don't know. It was just so interesting to kind of hear the things that we were working on um, that kind of in the actual element of the country. <laughs> um, so. Um, so, yeah. Um, but that was pretty much it for me, to be honest. Uh, I didn't have as much, I think, as Drew when yeah. it came to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I a lot of the like. Gaelic language that I had put into the episode is stuff that I already knew because I've been a fan of like Irish mythology for, for God, like <laughs> high school, which oh, was. I was gonna say since you were a wee baby. Well, since well, a wee, a wee, a wee, a a um, yeah. So I I already knew that the the phonetic pronunciation doesn't really apply to uh the Gaelic language which is you know I there's nothing wrong with that I'm not knocking that cuz I think it's awesome um Samhain, uh uh cool I can't remember anything else off the top of my head Crum, but Cromdu Cromdu yes Although that one I would say is like pretty close to like do, what do it. is spelled d u b h but Never like mind. <laughs> but 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 crom is still spelled c r o m mm-hmm. so yeah yeah but it was fun. It was a good time. Cool. Um, and so kind of, I guess that kind of like goes into my next question, which is like um, both of you explored like Irish traditions and Irish folktales um, and just like the culture, I guess. Like 
what was your research process for that? Um, was it all like personal experience or was it just because I know you two are very, very Irish? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was it personal experience or did you do like extra research just to like make sure you were being super accurate? Um, so um, there is so much uh, fairy lore as you learn. Um, like I think um, Drew and I, we talked a tiny bit about um, both of our lores um, just because um, I took some inspiration from Celtic lore and then some from mildly some from D&D lore of the fairy <laughs> realm, um, like the Feywild and things like that. But um, going to kind of like Drew, I know you did more of like the fairy courts, um, Scottish lore um, with some of it. I had to do extra work in terms of that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So originally for my episode, there was the aspect of maybe exploring changelings. And then kind of when I dived a little bit more into changelings, I decided definitely not going to do changelings. Um, So as I did my research um, on that, I really wanted to highlight the effect of like they exist and kind of going into how they do coincide with the human world, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, And the Dullahan obviously is also a fairy. Um, so I had to do extra research in that aspect when picking out what specific lore I kind of wanted to go with. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, most of my uh, research, I asked my grandma. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> uh, her, her parents were uh, like fresh off the boat immigrants from Ireland. Um, but a lot of like the fa- like the family sitting around the table, having drinks, having music play, talking about what's been going on. Uh that is <laughs> we did that all the time at my grandparents house when I was a little toddler so I I was just like just writing it I like because in my head what the the um what the O'Donnell homestead looks like is uh like my grandparents house <laughs> like just, just yeah like I t- I told I pulled a lot from family for this episode y'all um but uh, for, like, the actual festival itself, um, I did a little bit of research. Uh, I did that while researching uh, Cromdu himself. Um, I distinctly remember there was this one video. I have no idea what the name of it is or who it was, but I know it's it's an older gentleman. He is reading stories about and, and research from a big book about Cromdu and the festival. <laughs> I, that's how he says it. He's like, Cromdu. Uh And that's where I pulled a lot of, like, the the festival lore from. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So we're going into episode five. There was music in her eyes by Annie B, um, which also a lot of stuff happens in this as well. And, you know, we kind of start 
a little we kind of like we go right into it um and something that i noticed on listening through it again was that we start to see Elliot cracking a little bit um, and kind of, like, coming to terms with the fact that, like, you know, Jack could die and there's a lot of, like, stress, but they're going to this festival. Um, so at first he kind of just, like, is in denial a little... Uh, in denial a little bit. Words. Um, so my question, Annie, for you is, um, <laughs> what was it like starting to write that side of Elliot and, like, kind of... Um, put him in that place oh man it's very interesting for me because I think I wrote the first rendition of Elliot which was like very wild to mm-hmm. think about um way back when <laughs> episode two so then coming full circle I guess to episode five where we do see him crack a little bit um it is rather emotional for me just because we know Elliot as this fun, loving, caring partner of Jack's for so long. And he does become kind of in this mismatched like friend group that they now have formed, traveling companions. Just seeing him sort of solemnly to himself kind of worry (laughs) about losing Jack forever. I think we really see kind of his friendship with Jack and how much he means to him. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the reality of the situation, um, it was it was very grounding, I guess, uh, to kind of be able to write that transition for Elliot um, that we yeah. do see in episode five and some of episode six as well, mm-hmm. um, which obviously we'll get to that at some <laughs> point. But spoilers, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's so like that is so interesting because that's true. You did write Elliot first um, because of episode two. That was like his supposed to be he wasn't supposed to be in episode one and then he ended up in episode two um yeah no cool um so we are introduced to two new characters in this episode um with billy who is murphy's pal from training and has expert knowledge of um fairies and the fairy realm and everything um and then adair the bard the musician um, also voiced by Soren. Hey, um, he's back, baby. I wrote, yeah, range, right? Um, I wrote Fairy Wrangler, but that's not at all what he does. That's I, not it. That's not he's it at more, all. Uh, I don't know if I can say what he would <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but something I noticed is that he is just as mischievous as the fairies. And he is like, mm-hmm. you know, like, fiddle-dee-dee, I'm going to throw you into a different realm of different plane of reality and uh <laughs> so long um, somehow a bard and a rogue at the same time <laughs> hey. 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 multi-class uh, so anyway so my question um what when writing both of these characters like what was your process like and did you have fun like more fun writing one of them versus writing the other oh that's hard because i uh, alex knows this and i don't shut up about this like with anyone in the writers room about my favorite thing i'm going to say it again i'm uh, like my favorite thing about writing actually is um just characters and character mm-hmm. development and getting to see people's stories and see like how oh complex God. people's emotions can be. It's like one of my favorite things. So it's really hard to pick a favorite character, but we're going <laughs> to put a pin on that. Your I'll character answer. writing is really solid. Oh, uh, like you. all like the, the prep work that you do for them. Yeah. That's, I, it's I love so my, solid. I, I think of them not as my children, but just like <laughs> various parts of my brains in different alternate realities Hell a little yeah. bit. Um, so I guess for the first half of the question, um, 
as to my writing process, I'm going to start with a dare first. Mm -hmm. So a dare I kind of took loosely from Dandelion from The Witcher, like a little bit of inspiration from that. Um, And then also just like, you know, not to give too much away about Adair, um, he did grow up with fairies. Um, So his whole demeanor, the way he is, is because this is what he's used to. This is like who he is. Um, And, you know, is he inherently good? Is he inherently evil? He's kind of neutral. I think it's um, very interesting playing on a character that isn't one way fully or one way the other. Very just on the borderline of like, are you doing this for the right reasons? Are you trying to do this for your own self? So yeah, um, going in to write him was very, very fun. I will say writing him was fun. Um, coming up with the riddles, I did actually put some <laughs> some thinking uh, to some <laughs> to the riddles. Um, that was that was so fun. Um, and I had such a clear image um, of Adair in my head of what I want him to look like, how I want his persona to be. So um, that was just great. And then kind of going into Billy, um, I really wanted to show a contrast to Murphy a little bit mm-hmm. of somebody else from Parliament. But as revealed in the episode, find out she's from the European section that has now changed their name to Court of the Veiled. Um, spooky. S- spooky, spooky, mysterious. And I just kind of wanted to show a little bit of the not full opposite of Murphy, because I do think Murphy is fun and sarcastic and wonderful. I love Murphy so much. But Billy is much more on the more loose side of things where she's very much like, ah, I got this. And she's the only one to take a mission to go out to fairies, which is a very mm-hmm. dangerous mission that nobody else wanted to go on. But she just loves them so much. Um, so I really wanted to highlight that contrast and also the layers that are kind of in Billy um, that are there where it was just fun to write her as a character because I got to use a lot more Lucy Goose language mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense um oh, yeah. and she just tried so like writing the scene of when murphy not murphy when jack is accusing billy um kind of being untruthful and things like that um that was just a little heart-wrenching for me <laughs> mm-hmm. at points um so so yeah and who's more fun that's really difficult because they're both <laughs> so fun in their own unique way I feel um, like they both are cut from the same chaos cloth that's the thing you know, yeah. yeah I think if we're thinking in terms of I'm gonna bring it back to D&D there's a lot of D&D here we love D&D here <laughs> um, I'm gonna bring it back to like chaotic good Billy and then maybe chaotic neutral is like a dare so like um, I don't know honestly they're both so fun in their own way but I guess if I have to choose uh, oh God, I'm honest. Mm. You don't have to choose. I'm not going to. Which, which of your children is your favorite? No. <laughs> you never, I feel like that's like a question you ask a writer. I feel like they would freeze because I feel yeah. like that's such a hard question to ask is who's your favorite? Oh, I hang on. Character. I got a better one. Which of your children is your least favorite? I'm pretty sure. That I could write. I <laughs> have, yeah, I have had characters looking back on it. I'm like, I fucking hate writing this character. Yeah, there's been and characters like... I have despised writing to be honest um, not even in murphy and like just like you know in yeah. general and it has nothing to do with who they are as people it's just like i just no I just yeah i don't have fun writing for this character yeah and yeah. maybe there's some limitations which was so nice also about murphy is we do have a lot of freedom with mm-hmm. the characters that we do introduce and our writing process to be honest yeah. um there are still some things of course for the 
sake of Murphy that we do follow. But beyond that, we do have a lot of fun writing mm-hmm. these characters. So. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that really shows throughout your writing, too, where it's like, I can tell she, like, absolutely has the most fun when she's doing this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Episode five, there's, like, it's so trippy in a way because I feel like when we meet, when we hear the fairies for the first time and they're oh. just, like, these, like, disembodied voices and it's like what the fuck I was listening to it again today I listened to both episodes again today as like a a true refresher (laughs) and I was like doing like I was like cleaning or whatever and then I just like heard the echoey voice like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) no yeah and a fun thing about the fairies is so the first I think two or three drafts that I did I think we had like two or three drafts, yeah, oh, of yeah. Um, episode five. Um, there were no fairies in there. And then I felt like something was missing from the episode for the final draft. And I'm like, you know what? What if I just throw in some of the fairies and we get to hear them and listen to them a bit? Because I'm like, hmm, we don't know a dare is a dare, like all this other stuff. I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just adding them in and then seeing the final product, like when Dennis sent me the first edit of the fairies. I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Totally lost. Oh, God. It was just, oh, man. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, fun fun things that happened last minute that stick. So, so yeah. yeah. Did you have any sort of, like, inspiration in mind when you were creating both Billy and Adair? Or was, like, I know you said Adair was kind of, like, uh, based a little bit on Dandelion from The Witcher, but was there anything else specific? Was it, like, if if we're making an Adair soup, uh, we'll throw throw in a base of Dandelion, and we'll throw in a sprinkle of this and a pinch of this. For sure. I don't remember his name fully. Um, but when I do think of a dare, and I was thinking back to this character, if anyone has ever played the game Skyrim, um, and if anyone's played the, the game, game Skyrim, <laughs> um, there is somebody that you meet in the game in a certain quest, and you have to have a feast with him. I wish I knew his 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 name. I just saw his name pop up. He's the one who's like, oh, and here, listener, and blah, 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 blah. He's like this bard. I believe it's with the assassins portion of the game, the Dark Brotherhood. I'm not 100% sure, but his character specifically came to mind as well when I was kind of making an Adair soup. Um, so, so yeah, just, which is very funny because Dandelion is so good, and that character is inherently don't want to spoil the game for you, but he's a little bit the opposite of good. Um, so it really does make sugar and spice and everything nice. <laughs> Wait, that does spoil it. What Gee, am I what's the opposite of good? <laughs> Listen, Skyrim is 10 years old. All right. Um, but anyways, but that was another thing. Um, for Billy, it's kind of hard because I had a lot of female characters that I've seen in mind. Um, very funny enough, Black Widow came to mind a little bit for Billy, uh, which I know. Hair. Red hair, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, with the red hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, she came to mind a lot. Um, but honestly, Billy was more so from Murphy. If that, I don't know if that makes sense. It's like inspiration like, from Murphy. Interesting. Like the character Murphy. She like- yeah, no, to be honest, that was her. And also just like Billy in itself, I don't know. Just I it's it's almost like I said, you take bits of your brain into these characters. And for me, Billy's kind of the character that I would love to be like this. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. if I was a parliament agent, I would want to be this like kind of chaos, not chaos. Yeah, she's chaotic. Uh, A (laughs) bit of a chaotic, like loose cannon, but she's so good at her job. So. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's the personality hire. She is the personality hire. <laughs> <No. laughs> 
Except she she does do well. She does do well. She yeah. does do well. She gets great performance reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, but it is true. Like she is kind of like I, I totally see that influence of Murphy and Billy and like you know they were kind of like as as mentioned in the episode like they were friends back in the day. So you know when you're friends with people, they they like ru- you rub off on each other. I was thinking a lot about the scene at the bar where they're all drunk. And I know for me personally, um, it's really hard to write drunk dialogue. Some actor was saying like, when you're playing drunk, you're not trying to be drunk. You're trying to be sober. I just want to know what, what was going through your brain when you were putting that down on paper? What was the the vision for that scene for you? The process of me writing characters that are drunk, actually funny enough, in the script, um, when I was first writing it, um, I had put like music stuff in there and I put in like like the, you know, merry-go-round. So they go and then they have you ever seen the seats where they speed up and the person's like really dizzy and the music just kind of gets mm-hmm. faster and faster and faster and faster. Oh, so yeah. that's kind of what I envisioned mm. as they were getting drunk. Um, which kind of helped put me in the mindset. I always listen to certain kinds of music when I am writing also, um, depending on the scene or what's going on. So um, I was listening to a lot of like kind of circusy music when writing that. I <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and also just I always have such a vivid image, even though this is an audio drama. I always have such a vivid image of being in a place like being in a scene and I have to really put myself there and see the room, see what's going on. Like the way I picture characters is from the corner of their eye, corner of an outsider's eye looking in on the characters you're writing. So I envision myself kind of sitting there and watching these drunk people (laughs) just kind of going ham as like, ah, tourists, you know what I mean? Like in the middle (laughs) of this bar. So that's kind of my process for it was, I didn't look at a perspective of like, oh, this character's drunk. I'm writing drunk. I was looking at more like a bystander looking in on somebody who's drunk. So, so that's really just, and that's the same for any scene in in the script. I'm sure is like that's your general. Yeah, like by yeah, like a sure. bystander. Somebody was observing from like wherever, <laughs> seeing what's so going on. So I wanna I wanna attach a little bit more to you said music, um, and I know that. Music is a very, very key part of this episode yeah. specifically. Dennis did a beautiful job composing mm-hmm. um, all of the all the music, but especially for this episode. I know that it was it was a challenge for you to write around the music, especially because we haven't heard it while we were writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your process working with Dennis on that like, and how did that affect? the the drafts as they went forward that's a good question um so originally in the drafts like i put in ideas for what i have in music um just kind of like oh this music's gonna be a little bit more like somber and stuff in these points and then him and i kind of worked together to see like all right we're gonna do this and he would send me um samples or he would send me um songs that he was considering using in different scenes the thing we worked the most on was the fiddle um that was the biggest thing because we wanted to, I really wanted to make sure it was that kind of like mischievous, very luring in the distance. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think he did an excellent job with the fiddle, uh, especially certain parts where I put that um, the fiddles like slowing down, droning music, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So like a pendulum almost. Right? Yeah, 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 a bit. That's kind of that's kind of what I envisioned. And he worked with me a lot on that, um, especially during the scene when they're all in the crowd and they notice that one person's in the trance and everyone just kind of the fiddle starts getting distorted as they pay more attention to this person in the trance. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So, yeah, um, it was a lot of going back and forth. There were things that originally I put that we kind of worked out that were like, no, we're not going to do that. And, you know, kind of trusting each other as a writer and a sound designer. I think for everyone's episodes, everyone could attest that that's something that Dennis is fantastic at. He Mm -hmm. will literally send you clips. He will send you everything. Like, is there anything I need to do? And, like, the collaboration is fantastic in Mm -hmm. that aspect. I love getting notes from Dennis. Me too. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad Derek brought up the, the whole music aspect of it because it really is like, it play, it's like its own character in the, yeah. in the show. Um, and, and something it's really funny because we know that we're writing for audio, but the fact that you are so visual and it, again, that also shows in like the way that you like describe the surroundings and all of that. I think it, it is really important that we do that. So this way the listener is fully immersed. Mm-hmm. It's a great um, benefit. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so a, a quick shout-out to um, our fiddle player, which is Noah Green. Um, <laughs> yeah, Noah. Typically, we, we do have a uh, a string player who plays all of our, um, like, the orchestral yes, pieces. Uh, Her name is Liz Lister. She's amazing. Um, she's incredible. Yeah. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. Yes. He told me that he wanted the sound of the fiddle to be different, so he asked... Um, he didn't ask Liz to do it. He asked Noah, who's a friend from grad school. Um, and I think it was super successful because, yeah, it is kind of like a it's, it's completely separate from, mm-hmm. you know, the score itself. Like, even though it is part of it, but it's diegetic. It's diegetic music. So mm-hmm. um, because the audience is hearing it and the characters are hearing it. And it's like, oh, it's just it, it is really, really cool. And I love listening to um the fiddle piece that we wrote, that Dennis wrote for, uh, that we wrote, um, no, that, that, <laughs> that Dennis wrote for episode five. Um, and speaking of music, if you're interested in hearing any of these tracks, the soundtrack is available and you can um, listen to it on Spotify, mm. um, which is what I do every now and again. I will put on the track, The One Who Must Play, and it's that fiddle mm-hmm. metal melody. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spooky wooky. Annie, in this episode, there's a lot mentioned as we've talked about at length about like the like she folklore and fairy realms and et cetera, et cetera. Is there some piece of folklore that you didn't end up using that you wanted to use? Ooh, that is such a good question. Well, the one thing I dabbled in, I wouldn't say a piece of folklore, but I think an aspect of the folklore that I incorporated into that episode was accessing the fairy realm. Mm-hmm. I know that was an idea we had talked about, I think, in the writer's room and maybe the first session or maybe I mentioned it quickly or maybe it was a thought through my brain. Um, but I was debating whether or not we wanted to see that world um, and if we wanted to get a taste for what it is. Right. But mm, I, I had decided not to. Based on the research, um, what I had looked up in terms of the fairy realm, a lot of accounts of old, you know, stories of if somebody was lured into the fairy realm, they come back, changed completely different. They're a different person. Um, They're never the same again after being there um, because it's so horrifying, some of the things that they see because they can't understand it. So I played on that aspect of the unknown being we don't know 
how it looks. We only know how it sounds, actually, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, not even just because of it being an audio drama, but mm-hmm. um, we just only know based on what Murphy says at the end, what it could possibly look like from an outsider perspective. Um, So I kind of wanted to leave it there. There's some lore that I did use to um, kind of go along with a dare and who a dare is um, that didn't make it into that episode. But um, but yeah, um, I did use some other aspects, different um, they um, she's and kings and queens and things like that mm-hmm. <laughs> um but that i will kind of keep a little bit on a Stay tight tuned. bow on for right Stay now tuned. so <laughs> yeah oh that, that was a cool question that was a cool question oh, thank you so something that i noticed i actually forgot to mention but billy is voiced by angela strauman and she does a fantastic job which and something else i noticed is that she voices two irish characters back to back um which i thought was like fan- and she does different styles for both she of us. She does indeed. And when we were in the booth, she told me that, um, and I loved her for this, she told me that she was channeling the mom from Dairy Girls yeah. for, <laughs> for yes. Alice. So it and it was so soft. And I was like, oh my God, yes, thank you. Absolutely. Um, Incredible. And she just does a fantastic job with Billy. Like I was listening to it and I was like, ah, oh, I could, I could <sighs> so, just, So awesome. Know. Oh, she's amazing. Um, yeah. As you can tell, we love our cast around here. (laughs) Um, The last thought that I had uh, is something that I noticed. At the end of episode four, Murphy kind of talks about, like, how she's like, I can't wait to go home. And Murphy, to me, always struck me as a person who, like, didn't really have, like, a set home. Um, But now she's kind of considering, like, Elliot and Jack, her family. Mm. Um, And I think she mentions that in episode four about, like, oh, it felt like we were a little family, like, doing the dishes Mm -hmm. together. Um, and I just think that's like really special because it kind of like shows like her growth and everything. Um, and that's just like so fantastic. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now my question. (laughs) That is such a true, true statement. Um, now my question for both of you, because I realized I, I did write this down when I was doing my questions and I put it for both of you. Um, so what was the most exciting part of the process, uh, for writing both of these episodes? Well, how can you narrow it down? Like... There's a lot that of very interesting stuff that goes into it. Like the original, like we didn't have storyboards, but like the original, like outlining was so much fun. The honestly, I think the most exciting part of the process for me personally was hearing everyone else say <laughs> words that I wrote. Like yeah. that was so much fun. Because when, when as a writer, when you write things down, you th- have an idea of how they're said in your head. When an actor takes it and reads it a completely oh, different way, that is awesome and it's exciting <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's so cool. And like, yeah, I definitely when other people were here, were, were, when the cast was reading it, for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Because also, this is, I don't know if we've mentioned before, uh, episode four was the first script I ever wrote that went all the way to production. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that that's 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 my answer. Final answer, Alex. Hell yeah. <laughs> I have to also agree with Drew. Honestly, it is so magical. It is so magical when, oh, God, <laughs> even for episode two when I first heard, like, um, Antone play as Peter and things like that. Oh, I yeah. just sat there was like, oh my god, I I the 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 like it, it, I, I, sorry. It's like such an incredible process. And I remember coming here 
Um, I think I I was able to come for a little bit. Like I said, I was in Ireland um, during episode five recording, but I was able to come in for a little bit of um, Angie doing Billy, and that mm-hmm. that that was incredible because I love her character so deeply much. So <laughs> to be able to hear um, the voice to Billy was just. Oh, God, it was so amazing. Um, Yeah, no, that's been such a wild part of this process is when we get to sit here um, because the writers are invited to come um, and listen Mm -hmm. to the recordings. And, you know, we'll talk with Alex, uh, who's a lovely, lovely director. Um, She's very big on like writer collaboration. So if the writers have something that they, you know, would like to input in the directing process, we all kind of collaborate a little bit in that. So, um but yeah, it, it it's just that's just such a magical experience. I don't know. It's just like, oh my god, you're bringing to life this person with so much emotion and feelings and depth and intricacy and ah, just I can't wait to see how it builds and it unfolds, um, kind of going forward with everyone just in general. So so yeah. Real quick, also while while we're shouting out our amazing cast, I got I got to give a quick shout out to Minana, uh, to Miss Allison oh, yeah, O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, we love Allison. Yes. We, we love Allison. She was She's phenomenal. Such a sweetie. She's fantastic. Is it all right if I jump in on that question? I know it was for Annie and Drew. Yeah, so. absolutely. Please, yes. I unfortunately was not really able to um, get much of a chance to see the recording process just because of how my schedule worked out. Um, I will be remedying that for the next season for sure. I simply must. But I think there's also a lot of um, emotional uh, relief that comes from finishing the Mm -hmm. last draft Mm -hmm. and like submitting it and having it um, be completely done. And then once the episode is out, just like having a physical, tangible thing that you've created that people can listen to, um, that you can say, I did that. I wrote that. That that is my episode Mm -hmm. of something. And it makes you feel like really, really proud. and of course, hearing it for the first time, like you guys said, is just phenomenal. But just like there's there's something about being able to finish the work and mm-hmm. knowing what's going to come of it and what's going to lead to it um, that just makes you feel really good as a part of the as a part of a writer's room, too. Yeah. Oh. I'm getting emotional now <laughs> yeah. because I'm just I'm, God, I, I could go on about this. That's the issue is like this stuff. I'm gonna save the tears for the episode six. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll save my back, I'll save my thought for then. What can... handsome gentleman wrote that episode? <laughs> I wonder. Nobody we know. <laughs> so that is a that is a fantastic way to, um, I guess, begin the closing. Um, Annie, Drew, thank you both so much um, oh, for your insights you. and everything. I'm so excited to hear your work for next season too. Um, the next episode of Merlin's Monsters, we will be diving into um, episode six, the finale, um, and we are dedicating an entire episode to it because there's so much that we could talk about um, that fitting it into this one would have just made it like two hours long. It's a doozy of an uh, episode. It is for sure. so it is much happens. Oh. Other content will come your way to satiate your Murphy needs um, until next season premieres. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. There's so much more to come. Um, and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to it, um, to keep up with the show. And we will be seeing you soon. Does anybody else have any closing thoughts? Stay curious. Yes. But not too curious. Thank you for listening. Yeah. 
Very excited. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.